Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Man, I'm so excited about Lake Day baptisms coming up. As you heard on the video, it is absolutely one of the highlights of our year. We, uh, we get a chance to really publicly celebrate the stories of salvation that are happening in this church, in this house. And so I would encourage you, we already have 18 people signed up for baptism on that day. And I would just say this. Maybe you took the step of baptism as an infant or a young child when it was more of a, a dedication that your, your parents made on your behalf. Maybe you've put your faith in Jesus and you've never taken that step of baptism yet. I would just say this, don't put it off any longer. This is the next step for you in your journey of faith to publicly declare what Christ has done for you. So friends, you can sign up on our website. You can sign up at the welcome tent outside. You can sign up on the cards at the seat back in front of you. There are many ways you can sign up for that baptism, but man, we would love for you not just to be there and celebrate. It's gonna be a fun day, barbecue, paddle boards, kayaks, all the fun stuff. And, um, but we would, we would love for you especially to take that step of baptism if you have not done that yet. Also, as I mentioned, uh, join us this Wednesday night for a night of worship and prayer. Um, as we said, Zach and Cass will be leading us. They'll continue to lead us through the end of the month, which I'm so grateful for that. And it's a great night for us to gather, to worship, to pray. If you have prayer needs that you want prayer over, Come that night, and we're going to have time to pray over you specifically. We're going to pray for our community, for our church, for a lot of things, but we're going to worship together, and we're going to pray for you if you have needs. Um, last thing I want to say is this. Man, I am so encouraged by your generosity. You know, we had, <laughs> we had a little over 50 backpacks remaining that we had committed to and pledged to at the end of last week, and I had a huge pastoral fail. I completely forgot to announce that fact to you guys that, hey, we still have 50 backpacks to go, and we need you all to step up if you signed up to take one to bring it back and show up and, you know, do your part here. I totally forgot to mention it, and I was like, oh, man, we're, you know, I don't know how we're going to close that gap, and this past week, I don't know how many exactly came in. Maybe someone could give me a number up here. It was over 50. What was it, Matt? 58 backpacks came in. I mean, come on. That's awesome. And I just love how the Lord provides. I love how we get to be a part of that. And we get to be a part this year what's special of the distribution of those backpacks. So one of the huge things we say all the time here at the church is we are for the 50. We want to unleash compassion and show our communities that we are for them, that God is for them, that Jesus loves them. And by a simple act of passing out backpacks, that can happen in a really powerful way. And there's some really cool stories from that that we're already hearing that we want to share with you guys in the weeks ahead. Amen? Amen. So thank you for your generosity on that. Um, let me pray for us one more time. I just want to pray and get my heart centered on God's word before we dive into where we're going to head today. So let's pray one more time. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for your church. Lord, I thank you for 
the ways that you are using us as a community to make an impact on the 50 corridor and the world. Lord, I pray today as we dive into your word that you would show us more and more what it means to be the body of Christ, to be the church, to be the people of God. I ask this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So we are in a series where we are, are diving into the vision of our church, and I'm, I'm approaching this series from the book of Exodus, from the story of Exodus, and feels appropriate because we spent a long time in the book of Genesis, and now we're moving forward into the book of Exodus, and if, if you know about the book of Exodus, it's the story It's the story of how God brought his people out of the strongest nation on earth. If you remember back in Genesis, God actually sent his people, he sent Joseph to Egypt to save them, to actually be the one who brings salvation to Egypt, to provide for Egypt. God gave Joseph a dream, and through that dream, Joseph told Pharaoh to store up for seven years because a famine was coming. And then the whole family, Joseph's whole family moved there. And then over the next 400 years, um, his family multiplied. The people of Israel multiplied. And they grew into a strong and mighty nation, well over a million, potentially, some scholars believe, two million people living in the land of Egypt, specifically in the land of Goshen. And now, after 400 years, we, we learn that a new pharaoh, a new king of Egypt rose to power, and he didn't know Joseph, he didn't know the story of how these, these uh, Israelites, these Hebrews came to be, but he looked over there into the land of Goshen, and he thought to himself, there's a lot of them over there now, a whole lot of them, and in fact, there's so many of them, if you know, if one day we ever, you know, get into a conflict with them, they could join sides with our enemies and overthrow us, and they're right here inside our borders. We need to make sure they know who's boss. And so that Pharaoh made the decision to enslave the people of Israel, to force them into labor, to build the cities that he wanted to build, to build the monuments to his gods and to build his temples and to work for him as slaves. And in the course of all of that, God chooses a man named Moses. And he says, Moses, I'm gonna raise you up to set my people free. I'm going to be the one who delivers my people at the end of the day. But Moses, I'm going to use you to be the the conduit, the deliverer of my salvation. The one who tells Pharaoh and the Israelites and all the Egyptians what I'm about to do and how I'm going to save them. Moses, I'm raising you up for this purpose. And Moses, if you remember in the story, he goes, come again? What? Say what, God? First off, who are you? You know, if you remember, Moses was raised in the household of Pharaoh, in the household of of an Egyptian. He wasn't raised in a Hebrew household, so he doesn't really, he wasn't raised to know God. He just was raised in the context of the Egyptian gods. And so he's like, first off, what's your name? Second off, 
who am I to do this? I'm not even really good at public speaking. I'm terrified. Pharaoh is not going to listen to me. This is not a good idea. This is not going to work. And God, in essence, says, yes, it is. It's going to work, and I'm going to use you to do it. And so this series, From the Promise to the Future, the entire story of Exodus is, in fact, a picture of the church. It's a picture of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ when he delivered us and brought us into a new season where, by faith in Christ, we can be set free from the bondage of sin and death. We can be set free into new life through what Jesus has done for us. So the book of Exodus is actually just an analogy. It's a picture of what Christ has done for us. And now we as the people of God are learning to walk this thing out together in the community called the church. And we are on the way to the promise Just like the Israelites in the wilderness where they were on the way to the promised land, we are on the way. We're believing for a day when Christ returns and makes all things new. Wipes away every tear from every eye. All sorrow and death and suffering are no more. And that day is coming. And so as we dive into Exodus, it's helpful for us to see, one, how God brought them out. And what was the purpose of their journey before they arrived at the promised land? Because in the the history, the historical, the big picture narrative of the world and of salvation, we have to orient ourselves. We got to find ourselves on the map. You know, if you look at a map of history, we need the little star that says, you are here. And that's what we're going to look at today. And where we are makes a big difference in how we're meant to live. As I was praying about this and thinking about, man, what is the ultimate purpose of our church? How are we meant to live now, here and now, today, as a community? There was a verse that stood out to me. I mentioned it last week, Exodus 9, 16. And God is actually saying this to Pharaoh, but it's our purpose too, because he reiterates this not just to Pharaoh, but to the Israelites, to all the Egyptians. And he says this, for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Friends, the point of your life, my life, the point of all of us, is to lift up and exalt the name of God in all the earth because all of us were made to worship. I said this last week, I'll say it again, you were designed to worship and friends, worship primarily. Worship is not just about singing songs in this room on Sunday morning. That's a big part of what we do as Christians. We gather and we sing and we open God's word and we, we learn how to follow Jesus. But worship really begins when you leave this room and you head into the rest of your life. That's where worship begins. There's a gathering of worship in here. Friends, this is the easiest spot to worship that you will have all week. 
It's the easiest place you will have to worship all week. I mean, we do our best to create an atmosphere of worship, obviously with gifted singers and musicians, just like King David did in the Old Testament when he appointed singers and musicians to lead the people in worship. We, we do all we can to create an environment where we can come and lift up the name of God. But re- really... What worship is, according to Romans 12, right there in verse 1, Paul writes to the church in Rome, he goes, let your lives, your lives become a living sacrifice to God. A living act of worship to God. Let every aspect of your life become a living act of worship to God. So what does that mean, Lord? Well, it means how you live within the context of your family should be honoring to God. How you live in the context of your workplace should be honoring to God. How you live in context with your friendships, with all the relationships of your life, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, it should all be an act of worship to God. That's the point. Real worship begins when we leave this place and our lives should be distinct. They should look different than the rest of the world because that's how we become a witness to the world. And so friends, our, our team, we took some time, we, we got away a couple weeks ago and just prayed and we revisited something that we've had for the past four or five years, our top 10 values as a church. And I wanna be clear, these are not, this is not our full statement of beliefs. This is not our full statement of theological beliefs. You can also find that on our website. You can find our top 10 on our website. But we decided to bring some, some clarity around these because as we revisited these four or five years later, we thought, man, if this is the vision, the culture, the values that we want to have as a church, I think there are some things that we need to make a little clearer four or five years later. And so as we took some time and we got away and we prayed about our top 10 values, and if you're, if you're checking us out or if you're considering um, this becoming your church home, if you're watching online today, you're gonna get a good feel for who we are, what, what we value as a church community. And I know this is a little small, but I wanted them all to be on the same page, okay? And again, you can find these on our website but this is a snapshot. This is a, this is a good way for you to understand what does it look like for us to live in a distinct way as a church community, as we walk in the world, as we live out the rest of our weeks, of our days, of our time on this earth. Number one, and this has always been number one for us, but Jesus is our lead story, and we really felt like we needed to add, and we exist to worship him. And to define that act of worship as something so much more than just singing songs, but living a surrendered life. Jesus is our lead story. We want everyone to know the good news of Jesus Christ. We want everyone to hear the story of the gospel. That's the main thing that we're about as a church. 
Number two, we, we believe in radical grace. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die for us, that whosoever would believe in him. This gift of grace, the offer of forgiveness, of mercy, of salvation, it's available to the entire world. The gospel invites all of us to come as we are, in our mess, in our brokenness, in all of our dysfunctional pieces, right? He says, come to me right now as the prodigal son, as the prodigal daughter, as the one who's been wandering for a long time. You don't have to wait to clean up your act. You don't have to wait to get it all together. You don't have to know, you know, memorize all the books of the Bible and the Ten Commandments and all the little details. Just come to me, says Jesus. Come as you are, but here's the reality of the gospel. The gospel invites all of us to come as we are, but it confronts all of us and says, you can't stay as you are. Sin has infected our hearts. We're all broken. We all have a tendency to look to the wrong things for our ultimate joy and identity. So the gospel says, come as you are, but by God's grace, I'm gonna transform you more by more into the image of Jesus. It's a lifelong journey of surrender and submission to the way of Christ, but we believe in radical grace. In the past, number three has says, we believe truth matters. We believe in objective truth. We believe there is truth in the world that can be known. We don't believe that we as humans, individuals, are the ultimate defining source of truth. I felt like, we felt like it was very important to say the Bible is the source of truth. As a church, we believe if you are seeking to understand life and what is true, it starts right here. Not with us, not with humans, but with God. God's inspired word. So every week we're gonna teach from the Bible. We're gonna reorient ourselves around the truth of God's word. Number four, you know, we wanted to add this in because we wanna be a praying church. And it's not that we didn't care about prayer before. We've, we obviously have prayer walls in the back of the room. We have moments where you can receive prayer after service. We have worship and prayer nights. Prayer matters to us, but we wanted to state it right up front. We believe in the power of prayer. I mean, prayer is this amazing opportunity that all of us have to talk to our heavenly father to let him know our needs, to let him know what's happening in our lives and to say, Lord, help. Lord, here's where I'm at. And, and, and God, friends, we can't miss this. God is not, you know, the genie from Aladdin in the sky. You know, we rub the lamp and we give him our wish and everything just, you know, gets fixed in our lives. No, sometimes prayer is not about changing our situations. It's what God uses to change us. Sometimes he uses it to do a miracle. But in God's sovereign will and his plan of the universe, we don't know which that's going to be, but we can trust him no matter what. Prayer is how we grow in our faith. It's inviting God to work in our lives. We believe in the power of prayer. Number five, we serve others by unleashing compassion. For the 50 is not just a slogan around here. We want everyone on the 50 corridor to know that we are for them because God is for them. 
Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? God did not spare his only son, but sent him for us. And we believe one of the best ways that we can demonstrate to the world that God loves them, that he's inviting them to come as they are, is by unleashing compassion, by you know, handing out backpacks to, to little boys and girls that don't have the finances to get a new backpack or to buy school supplies for themselves. And I tell you what, when a little boy shows up with a Spider-Man t-shirt on, and there happens to be one Spider-Man backpack left in the back of the bunch, and someone on our team goes, I think I know exactly the backpack for you, and you bring the Spider-Man backpack out, full of school supplies, and you see that boy kind of just, eh, whatever, here's my backpack, go. I mean, he can't even talk. He doesn't just take it, oh, it's school supplies, it's a backpack, it's a green backpack, whatever. It's a Spider-Man backpack. You know, Miles Morales is that kid's hero, right? The new Spider-Man. He hugs that thing, walks over to his mom and dad, can't even talk, speechless, and right then and there, it's just the details. It's God loves you, he sees you. He sees you. We serve others by unleashing compassion. We have Love the 50 Week coming up. We're gonna have tons of projects, hundreds of opportunities. Every single one of you should serve. That's how we advance the gospel. We choose sacrificial generosity. In the past, one of our values was we believe generosity is normal, should be normal. But here's what I've learned. Generosity, which is the sacrificial generosity of Christians to, to support and fuel the mission of the church, it's actually not normal. It's not normal. Most of us really struggle with this, deeply struggle with this. And this is an issue of worship. It's an issue of where is our allegiance of our heart? It's an issue of who do we trust? But I'm telling you, as we unleash compassion, as we live sacrificially generous lives with our time, talent, and treasure, our money, to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth, man, people look at that and they say, man, what is happening over there? It's different. It's a witness. We felt like this was really important. Number seven, we are for the family. We are for the family. We are for husbands and wives having strong marriages, knowing that a strong marriage is the best gift that they can give to their children. We are for God's design for the family. And we believe, especially in this cultural moment, standing on the truth of God's word around God's design for marriage as between man and wife, his original intention is important for us to declare. And again, we believe in radical grace, but we believe in the truth of God's word and we are for the family. And I believe there is an attack against the family in our culture right now. And one of the best ways, we, look, all of our families have issues. All of us have journeys. All of us have different stories in our life. And we're aware of that. I'm not naive to that. I'm a pastor. I'm in the thick of it all the time. This is just the broken reality of life that we all live on, live in. 
but we can still lean into the fact that we, we can say, look, we believe God has a plan for the family. One of the best witnesses that we can give to the world is husbands and wives who say, man, we're gonna work through this. And maybe it didn't work out the first time. Maybe you're on your next marriage and this is the opportunity now for you to lean in and work through this. It starts now. All of our families are a mess. Amen, somebody. And gosh, none of us are perfect parents. We need grace so badly. And I'm just saying, our kids' ministries, our youth ministries, the things that we have in our hearts to offer for the support and the strengthening of marriages, and we understand this is under attack on every level. Friends, as a church, we are for the family. We believe we're better together. Simply put, if you're not in a group, jump into a group. You cannot walk this Christian life alone. We're gonna look at that today. We believe in purpose over preference. This is huge. Uh, the last two really go together. We are owners, not attenders, meaning we are not just consumers of church. Friends, some of you need to take a step to serve. I've used this analogy in the past, but you know there, there are either bibs or aprons that we wear when it comes to church. And friends, if we're wearing a bib all of our lives and we just say about church, ah, I didn't really like the sermon this week, didn't really like the worship, ah, this church isn't doing what I need them to do for me, I really don't like the taste of the blueberries or the peas right now. It's time for you to take off the bib and put on an apron. Because I promise you this, you will get tired of this church. You'll get sick and tired of this church if you only consume. But if you jump in and serve and actively build the church with us together, you'll find mission and purpose and you'll realize I'm connected to the stories of people's lives who are being radically changed that we're gonna hear about on Lake Day baptisms. You're gonna be a part of raising up the next generation. If you choose one of the easiest and best ways that you could actually make disciples right here and now, and I promise you, it's also one of the best ways to die to yourself. Sign up for kids' ministry. <laughs> Serve in the kids' building. Nothing will bring you to your knees and strengthen your prayer life like a room full of third-grade boys. <laughs> Friends, we're here because we're on a mission together. There's a purpose so that all the world would proclaim the name of Jesus so that all the world would worship God, the one true God. We're not just here to receive, and friends, we want you to be blessed by this church. We want you to find life-giving community. I want you to be uh, spurred on and encouraged by the word of God that's preached on Sundays, but at the end of the day, you have to take the next step to get into a small group, to find ways to serve, to learn how to live in community with each other. This is what it looks like for us to become a living witness to the world as a church. So how does this relate to Exodus? I wanna look at this idea of waking up in the wild. Because as you read through Exodus, one of the most fascinating things to me is this. It's amazing to me. God 
keeps saying over and over and over again, let my people go so that they can serve me in the wilderness, so that they can worship me in the wilderness, so they can sacrifice to me in the wilderness, so they can have a feast unto me in the wilderness. His plan was actually to put them in the wilderness. I don't like the wilderness. I mean, I kind of do. I like backpacking and hiking, but I don't want to live there for very long. Like, not like forever. Not like for 40 years. But God said, no, I actually need you to come into the wilderness out of Egypt so that you'll learn how to worship me. Now, here's sort of the setup, right? I'll go back to this. The reason I called it waking up in the wild is I'll never forget because I, I do enjoy backpacking and hiking. And I'll never forget the first time I went on a solo backpacking trip in California. And it's so fitting because I went up to this place called Desolation Wilderness. What an intense name. I was like, Really, y'all couldn't like come up with like natural, beautiful wilderness? No, the desolation wilderness. That's what it's called. It's right up there on this side of Tahoe. And I'll never forget, I'm on a solo trip. I hike up uh, just above treeline, set up camp for the night. And sometimes I'll do that just to get away and pray and journal and kind of recenter my life. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget going to sleep that night. And sometime around, I don't know, two or three in the morning, I am awakened by the most horrific sound I've ever heard in my life. I come to find out later that it's actually a mountain lion roar. Sounds more like a scream. Don't know if you ever heard, like look it up on YouTube later. It's terrifying. It feels like something out of a horror movie. And I remember sitting bolt upright in my tent and I'm I'm high enough above tree line where I'm surrounded by rock walls on all the sides. And so this mountain lion is roaring and it sounds like some combination of like, you know, the screaming goats and like a hyena's cackle and it's echoing all around the rocks around me. And I, I am fully aware. I knew that there were bears and mountain lions and all the stuff up in the wilderness, but now I knew that they were there. The reality of it was so sobering and real, and I had bear spray, and I I did not sleep a wink the rest of that night, and my bear spray was like right there, you know, hand on the trigger, ready to go. I figured if it can scare a bear off, it can scare a mountain lion too, you know? But I didn't sleep at all. And, you know, the question is this, how do you know when you're waking up in the wild? Tell you right now, I had never heard a mountain lion roar in my bedroom, in my house. I have, you know, I could walk downstairs, turn on the sink and get water. I don't have to go filter water. There's a sense in which the wilderness strips a lot of things away. But the truth is this, as you look at the story of Israel and the exodus out of Egypt, God is intentionally putting them into the wild, the wilderness, the place where their entire lives are dependent on him. You cannot survive. I've been to Israel twice. I know the region between Egypt and Israel, and that region is uninhabitable. It is barren desert. There's nothing out there. And yet God provided for them over and over and over again. How do we know that we're waking up in the wild? How do we know where we're at? Well, 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, be alert of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
Friends, we are in the reality right now of our lives. We don't have to look far. There's division, there's wars, there's rumors of wars, there's pain, there's suffering, there's sickness, there's sadness. Many of you are walking through things right now in the wilderness. And friends, our life on this earth is going to be life in the wilderness at one level or another until the promised land, until the promise arrives of the new heavens and the new earth, until Christ comes and ultimately makes all things new. So how do we live in this place? Because we're living in the gap. We're living in between the deliverance and the promise. And our life is lived right here in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, there is difficulty. For you and I in our lives right now, the same thing will happen to you that happened to the Egyptian, that happened to the Israelites. I mean, imagine this. They've just watched God set them free. They watched God part the Red Seas. They watched God send plague after plague until Pharaoh finally said, get out of here. God delivered them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He proved to the world, to everyone, I am the one true God. There is none like me. There are none others like me. He systematically conquered the strongest nation on earth to bring his people into the wilderness. And he gives some reasons why. He tells us why. Why am I bringing you into the wilderness? So after this presentation, this is Exodus 5, verse 1. Moses and Aaron, they went and they spoke to Pharaoh. They told him, this is what the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold, I love this, a feast. A feast in my honor in the wilderness. Can you imagine of all the places in life where God is choosing to prepare a feast for his people? For them to have a feast of celebration in honor of God, he chooses the wilderness. That's where you're gonna feast in my name. Once I bring you out, you're gonna have a festival, a feast, declaring to the whole world, God has set us free. Friends, part of the wilderness is learning how to taste and see that God is good. It's us learning how to feast, if you will, on the goodness of God. It goes on, is that so, replied Pharaoh. And who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh? I know my gods, I know the Egyptian gods, they're clearly stronger than the Lord, Yahweh, because you guys are just a weak little nation of slaves. In those days, it was clearly understood the strongest nations have the strongest gods. So he's not real concerned about that. He goes, who is Yahweh? That's the Hebrew word for Lord. Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? He's clearly not that strong if you guys are under my bondage. I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. I don't know your God. 
I don't care about him. He's clearly not that big of a deal. So go away, Moses and Aaron. He goes on, but Aaron and Moses persisted. The God of the Hebrews has met with us, they declared. So let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness so we can offer sacrifices, so we can worship to the Lord our God. Friends, here's the big idea. There is feasting, there is worship. Later in chapter seven, verse 16, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to tell you, let my people go so they can worship me. Why am I going to the wilderness? To worship. Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. Why are we going to the wilderness? To, to feast, to serve, and to worship. That is the purpose That's our calling because when you learn to feast and serve and worship in this life, when you learn to taste and see that the Lord is good, when you find feasting is about finding your ultimate joy and satisfaction and identity in Christ. It's about Jesus being your lead story. That's what that is. Serving him, think about this, the people of God couldn't serve Pharaoh. They couldn't be building bricks to build the temples of Pharaoh and serve God at the same time. God goes, nope, I have a bigger purpose for them. They need to serve me. I need to bring them out so they can serve me. You are not their God, Pharaoh. I am their God. They are my people. And so they can worship. Close with this. So important. In the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, he warns us. We don't officially know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but the writer of Hebrews warns the people of God. And he says to them, hey, do you remember when God brought out the children of Israel. Hebrews 3, verse 7. Really, chapter 3 into chapter 4. He says this, this is what the Holy Spirit says. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. As Israel did when they rebelled, when they were tested in the wilderness, There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must encourage each other every day while it is still called today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Friends, don't miss this. This is why the church needs each other. Think about the Israelites, and we are no different than them. Think about this. Again, they saw God deliver them with a mighty hand. We saw, they saw God take out the strongest nation in the world and bring them into the wilderness so they could worship him. They watched it happen. Every morning they woke up to manna, supernatural bread from heaven on the ground. They watched God provide Water from the rock, water in the wilderness. He brought quail in the evenings for them to eat. He was a cloud by day covering them. He was fire by night leading them. They were walking in the physical living manifestation of Yahweh right there. And then what happened in the wilderness? I mean, think about this. 
Moses goes up onto Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments from God. He's gone for a few days. These people have just seen God do the most incredible things. And they think, well, Moses is probably dead up there in that thunderstorm. Maybe God consumed him. We don't know. Uh, we, don't, we don't know what to do or think or any of this. So we're just going to build our own God, a golden calf, and we're going to worship that instead. What? I mean, every time I read that, I'm like, no. No. And then I think about my own life. I mean, the writer of Hebrews is saying this. He's like, be careful. Because we are so quick to never think about this. What Jesus did for us. We're so quick to not live like he's real. We're so quick to live like, I'll just live my own life and maybe he'll be a little side thing for me, right? We, we ignore the fact that he is the bread from heaven. He is the living water. And with one drink, we will be satisfied. And we, we forget what Christ has done for us on the cross. And we worship other things. We prioritize other things. We put so many things in the place of God in our lives, we are the exact same. And we don't live with our eye to the future. Living now so that the world would know there is a future coming where Christ is the reigning king. Friends, this is our story, and don't miss this. Think about Israel. It wasn't until they had the freedom. In Egypt, they did not have freedom to worship God. They couldn't worship God. They were in bondage. They had no freedom of worship in Egypt. But think about this. It wasn't until they had the freedom to worship God that they actually chose not to worship him. It wasn't until they had seen God deliver them through mighty signs and wonders and miracles. It wasn't until they had actually been delivered and freed up to worship God that they built a golden calf. Oh, I mean, that is, that is how quickly we are deceived. That is how quickly we are distracted from the truth of God and Jesus. That's how quickly we are thrown off mission in our own lives and friends. We as the church, the reason we have these top 10 values and say you need to, to jump into a, a men's group, a women's group, a married couples group. You need to get your kids involved in youth and kids. You need to be a part of Sunday worship together. The reason all of this matters is because we are so quickly pulled away. And in a world where we are free to worship anything, we often do. And so friends, as we continue on this journey through Exodus, I want you to think about what would your next step be? Maybe it's choosing to jump in and serve in one of the ministries. Maybe it's signing up for Love the 50 Week. Maybe it's deciding for the first time to honor God with your tithes and offerings. But you have to take a step to say, Lord, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to learn to follow you here in the wilderness. I'm going to be a distinct witness to the world. Maybe it's just praying for a coworker, sharing your faith with a friend. So many ways that we can become a living witness. 
But we're going to close our time, as we always do, with communion. Remembering that our greatest deliverance came from Jesus Christ. He was the Passover lamb who set us free. He was the one who set us free. And every week we take a moment to remember what Christ has done for us by taking communion together. Let me pray for us and then we'll take communion. Lord, right now I ask that you would move our hearts as we, we know, Lord, we're living in the wilderness, Lord, you would teach us what it means to, to feast, to serve, and to worship, Lord, to, to learn to treasure you above all else, to live our lives in a way that honors you, and to live lives of a living sacrifice of worship to you. Thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, let's take communion together. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.